0: Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter four as we get into God's word together this morning. Mark chapter four. We've been looking at the gospel of Mark over these last weeks, months. Um, You know, I love combing through a book, uh, especially a gospel like the gospel of Mark. And, you know, as Christians, we should know the teachings of Christ. We should know what Jesus said and what he meant by what he said. And, uh, and that's what we're doing. You know, we, we, um, someone said, well, why don't you cover different topics? Well, you know, when you preach through the word, you end up touching on every topic at one point or another. Um, back in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, it says the kingdom of God is near. But up to this point, there's been r- no real explanation of what the kingdom of God is until you get to chapter 4. Uh, And in chapter four, we've got these series of parables about the kingdom of God, including what we looked at last week. Those who are in the kingdom of God. Have you ever felt like you're trying to do things for the Lord and, um, and what you're doing doesn't seem to have a lot of spiritual impact? I think every Christian feels that at some point. Well, to use the imagery of these verses that we're looking at today, you know, we, we shine the light of the gospel. That's what we're doing. And we, we sow the seed of the word. It's up to God to bring the increase. He's really the one that is, is responsible. He's the one that's at work. And I give you some examples of, of people who have faced some pretty big obstacles, but just continue for the Lord that inspire me. And I think they were thinking, if not of these Particular parables, at least of the ideas that are behind them and the truths behind them. William Carey uh, is known as the father of the modern missionary movement. And he did ministry in India for seven years before he saw one convert. Can you imagine? You go there and and work for all that time before you see anyone trust Christ. He shared the gospel for more than 40 years, but but the fruit of his work he felt was, was minimal. But even still, he could say, and I quote, the future is as bright as the promise of God. And he was the one that said, maybe you've heard this, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. That was William Carey. A, a contemporary of his, another missionary, Adronaim Judson, uh, worked in Burma also for about the same amount of time before he saw a convert. And he would die disappointed that he wasn't able to accomplish more. But he was faithful to the end and he could write these words in poetry form. He said, in spite of sorrow, loss, and pain, our course be onward still. We sow on Burma's barren plain. And we, we reap on Zion's hill. You know, I don't, I don't know this for sure, that they are, were aware and thinking in, in, in particular of these parables. They may have been. But I know that these parables inspire me to, to be a lamp and, and to know that these bunches of seeds that God scatters, that he's the one that gives the increase. And that this one small mustard seed, even one seed that's planted in a life, can have a tremendous impact not because of what we do, because of what God does in these lives. You know, these verses are encouraging. These verses that we're looking at today are life-giving because his kingdom is what he's all about. It's what our lives should be all about. Jesus doesn't teach a feel-good theology. And you have this on your outline if you're taking notes. We do have to learn to trust God so that we can give our fears to him and not act in disobedience. We need not live lives of fear because we are the children of God. Because he's our king and we submit our lives to him. And our purpose our purpose in life isn't to find comfort and, and pleasure. It's to do the will of God. It's to be submissive to him because he's the king. You know, God knew where the disciples needed to grow. God knows where we need to grow. He was doing everything he could to prepare the disciples for life after his resurrection and ascension. And we want to be, he wanted them to be ready for all that life threw at them. And he wants us to be ready for all that life throws at us. In these verses that we're looking at this morning, and this is on your outline, Jesus came to earth to inaugurate his kingdom. As citizens of his kingdom, we're encouraged to adopt a new kingdom culture. While we live on this earth in expectation of living with him in his heavenly kingdom for all eternity. The kingdom has come in one sense, but it has yet to be established and recognized on earth. God's kingdom on earth is guaranteed to grow by the power of God until it includes people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's his promise. And in these verses, there are three parables about the kingdom that we're gonna look at. The kingdom comes to earth and grows with the appearance of Jesus the Messiah who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And these three parables reinforce the first parable, the one we looked at last week, the parable of, of the soil. What kind of soil are you? That's the question we asked last week. So let's read our passage, Mark chapter 4, beginning of verse 21. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Verse 30, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with them, with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is God's word. We're going to stop there. You know, the first thing that we see about the kingdom in in these parables, and this is number one on your outline, is that the kingdom is spread as the gospel is shared. That's our responsibility, to share it. We need the gospel message because we live in the brokenness of our own sin. And when we become alienated from God, we experience alienation in so many other areas. Social alienation and cultural alienation and psychological alienation, physical alienation. We weren't built to live for other things than God. But we're living for ourselves, we live for our families, we live for our our country, we live for this or that cause. Those are all good things. But they're not big enough for the soul that God gave us. The only thing that's big enough for us to live for is to live for the kingdom of God. Yes, salvation of God's kingdom is about saving our souls. But at the same time, God deals with injustice and with disease and with hunger and death. In other words, the kingdom of God means that God's salvation is is not just for us being made right with God, but it's for us using what God has given us to share with others so they can be made right with God. The world is broken. But the prophet said that God will reconnect heaven and earth and so the kingdom is about God. You know, we don't enter into a relationship with God because he'll meet our needs, although he will. We don't enter into a relationship with God because he'll make us happy. He can do that. We enter into a relationship with God because this is what we owe him. That is his due as king. Like it says in Psalm 100, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Therefore, we're his. Living in the kingdom means that we live in such a way, and this is on your outline, letter A under number one, that Jesus is to be glorified by our words and our lives. Jesus is to be glorified by our words and our lives. Verse 21 again, he said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, a New Testament lamp was a bowl <clears throat> with oil in it and a wick in the oil. And that's how it got the energy to burn. And to put it under anything, under a box, under a bushel, under a bed, it, would, well, it could be dangerous, I guess, but it would put out the light. It's, it's, of course it's not supposed to do that. Jesus came to reveal and to conquer the darkness, to reveal truth. And the lamp is meant to be put up high so it can give as much light as possible to the greatest amount of, of places as possible. And so we should live as citizens of the kingdom so that we can see that, that, uh, that we can, other people can see Jesus in our lives. Let your light so shine before men, right? In Matthew 5, 16, that they might see your good deeds and, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so we want people to hear about him through our words, see him in our lives. You know, I think it was St. Francis who said, uh, when uh, I want to live my life so that my life will be a sermon and if necessary, use words. I don't believe that. Jesus didn't believe that. He, was, he lived a perfect life, but he used words. We have to, it's not, it's not just our lives that will communicate. We have to use our words to communicate the truth to the people around us. The fact of the resurrection assures us that, that this is going to come to pass. I like the message paraphrase of verse 23. It says, Are you listening to this? Are you really listening? And so we're to hear the word and we're to act on it. And this is tremendously important. So we need a new set of ears to be able to hear. That's essential. And the reference to the light, of course, is a reference to Jesus. Look at the references that you've got on your your outline. So then how are we to respond to Jesus who is the light of the world? He is the extraordinary lamp our prayers that we might be able to reflect him. Jesus came to reveal God and to be the image of God in human flesh. And so you have this on your outline. Jesus not only revealed divine truth, but when he came to earth, he embodied truth as a human being. He is the truth. Jesus identifies true disciples and who the true disciples are in the first parable, the one we looked at last week of the soils. And now he illustrates the primary responsibilities of the disciple in this, in these parables, in this parable, to live in such a way that our lives are a witness. You know, sometimes we might get discouraged about, I mean, I talked to to you guys, a lot of you all the time, and, and and I hear, man, how dark it is in some of the places where you work or maybe where you live or where you go to school. It's spiritually dark. Well, where do we need a light? We don't shine a flashlight right now because we have the sun. We need a flashlight when it's dark. And that's exactly the place that God wants to use you when it's most dark. And so he says, don't be discouraged. You focus on, on on being a light. It doesn't take much light even to, to shine brightly when it's, when it's very dark. And Jesus says, Hold me up before the world so that all may see me. And then the second thing, uh, letter B under there, uh, under number one, living in the kingdom means that we come to the king unconditionally. Remember, he's the king. We're his servants. It means that we come with listening ears. Consider carefully. He says it again. He keeps saying it over and over again. Consider carefully what you hear. And what follows in verse 24 is a theological principle, really in the form of a proverb. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. You know, there's an Old Testament uh, almost equivalent in Proverbs 9. You've got the reference on your outline, but it says instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will learn more. When you respond to God's truth, God will give you more truth to follow. We live as citizens of the kingdom right now when the kingdom is small on this earth, but there will be a day when we will be around the throne of God and and there will be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. I can't wait to meet people from uh, Ateti and Yembi Yembi and Nauru and all the other tribes that we've worked with, that our missionaries have worked with to be around the throne of God and worship next to them. That's what we have to look forward to. And they'll say, wow, you're from Claremont Emmanuel. Thank you for sending missionaries to us so that, so that we, could, we could hear the good news of Jesus and that we could worship with you together here in heaven. That's what we look forward to. Man, that, that motivates me to want to live for Jesus right now. And this is the spiritual principle, how we respond to Jesus every day is really serious because we can't rely on the relationship with God we had last week, or, or, as my daughter used to say when she was growing up, "Laster Day." We can't rely on that. We we we've got today, so we respond to Jesus today. We work on our relationship with Him today. It's a daily attitude towards the truth that that counts. It's not, we don't rely on on the day we came to Christ, however many years ago it was or whatever. We're not to take for granted the relationship with God that we have right now. It's like any important relationship. It's like marriage. You have to work on it every day for it to be a successful marriage or whatever relationship it is. It needs to be worked on on a regular basis. It's almost like these couple of verses are an application more than a parable. Intentional knowledge of God grows exponentially. That's what he's saying here in in this passage. You'll get more. But the the opposite is true as, as well. If there's a willful ignorance then that that, will be taken from us. We don't want that to happen, so we've got a responsibility to move forward in our relationship with God. If you seek the truth, you will grow in wisdom. And what's wisdom? Being able to apply the word of God to our lives. And when we submit ourselves to the truth of God's word, we can't come to the king of the universe and negotiate. That's not an option here. We can't come and say, well, I'll, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. That doesn't work with the king. You can't come and, and try to fit God into your agenda. You can't come like that. You, what's the proper response to a king? You kneel. You bow before the king. You come to him unconditionally unconditionally. What, O king, do you want me to do? Well, he's given it to us in his word. So that means we have a responsibility to read the word, to obey the word. And that means we lose control. We lose control of what power we had. We lose control of our money. We lose control of our relationships. We want to bring all of them under the lordship of Christ. Because you're being obedient to the king in each of those areas. You know, this is the only way to have a life-giving power of God that comes into our lives and gives us strength to, re- to be renewed, to submit ourselves to him, to the kingdom, to what we find in scripture. No, it's not always going to be like what we want. But that's not what we're concerned about. We want what God wants. The second thing we see about the kingdom in these parables, number two on your outline, is that God will see to it that his kingdom grows. So Jesus identifies the true disciples in the first parable we looked at, the one last week, in verses 1 to 20 of chapter 4. And then we see the responsibility to tell others about Jesus. And now Jesus describes how God's kingdom will come to earth. And this is the only parable that appears in just the Gospel of Mark. And the emphasis is on the power of the seed. That's the focus. The idea is to sow the word, to to let it loose and watch it work. That's the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of the people because I know you have prayers for friends of yours that don't know the Lord, but God is at work in their lives. And we need to know that. And what God wants us to know, and this is letter A and number two, there's a mystery to the growth of the kingdom. So verse 26, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows though he does not know how. And so the backdrop here is that the Jews wanted the Romans gone. They were looking for a physical savior to come in and wipe out the, uh, the, the Romans and so that they could be restored to uh, what they had under David and what they had under Solomon, all the glory of Israel. And even better. But God had a new covenant in mind. Not the old covenant, not the old way of doing things. He had a new covenant in mind has a different plan not a physical rule but the kingdom of God and that begins in our hearts Jesus compares the kingdom to a farmer's crops that he was planting and over time he grows his kingdom it will grow you know you probably heard me say this before and I apologize but I'm I'm from Kansas And uh, I, I, all my relatives on my mom's side are Mennonites and they're farmers. And I, I I would see my aunts and uncles and cousins talk about it all the time. It's time to plant. It's time to harvest. We pray for rain. We don't, we need more sun, whatever it is. I'd see the whole process. And then the time would come when they'd say, okay, all the cousins are going over to this person's house to help him harvest and take the harvest to the silos. And, and, and you know, I saw the whole process, I saw it grow. And, and I'll tell you what, I don't know of a farmer personally. I'm sure they exist that are atheists, but boy, they, they sure pray when they need rain. I mean, the focus here is on the seed, not the, not the farmer, not the one who sows the seed. In this parable, the seed is the one that has the power in it. The seed is what represents the kingdom of God. And the focus here is is like what Jesus' half brother James wrote in James chapter 1 when he says, Humbly receive the implanted word that is able to save you. And so when you plant the word in a receptive heart, the Holy Spirit makes it grow. God the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. We work alongside him. It's not just that we sit back and watch him do it all. No, we have, to, we, we have to place ourselves before God, which is what we're doing now in corporate worship. It's what you do when you spend time alone with God. It's what you do when, when you pray. We're placing ourselves before God so that his Holy Spirit can transform us. You know, last week, Jerry Root, uh, Zach made the announcement, has been talking to us about C.S. Lewis on Tuesday night uh, via Zoom. And uh, he talked about mere Christianity last week. And on the last page of mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes this. You have it on your outline. The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. These are all principles of the kingdom. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred and loneliness and despair and rage and ruin and decay. That's what we get when we look in. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. But look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else is thrown in. If you want to underline something, underline that last sentence from C.S. Lewis. I just think it's so well said. And then secondly, letter B under number two, God also wants us to know that there is a certainty to the growth of the kingdom. Verse 28, all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. I think this is really fascinating. The Greek word all by itself at the beginning there is the word automate, and it literally reads automatically the earth bears fruit. The process that this is growing the kingdom, it's not necessarily showy, but it's certain. It will happen. Whether we see it or not. We could say it started with a a homeless man from Nazareth who got around him 12 nobodies. But look where... Where we are today, here we are 2,000 plus years later and we're talking about Jesus and these 12 disciples and what he taught them. God's ways are mysterious, but they are sure. But they're always successful, no matter what happens. The sickle is often used not just to reap, but it's it's a symbol of judgment at the same time. Revelation says it like this, uh, use your sickle and reap the time. The time to reap has come. The harvest of the earth is, is ripe. It's amazing to me that Jesus started with 12 and, and, and reached the then known world with the gospel at that time in that, in that first generation and it will continue to grow to every people, language, group until every, everyone has heard The gospel. And it will continue to be that way and God guarantees the growth. And when the kingdom comes and it comes into your life, it creates a radical integrity. It creates a radical courage. It creates a radical concern for justice, a radical confidence, not in ourselves, but because of Christ in us. And so are you certain you're a part of it? Do you know that the Holy Spirit lives in you, that you're a part of the kingdom of God? And has it, is it beginning and is it continuing to create that radical lifestyle of the kingdom in your life? The third thing we see about the kingdom in these parables, number three, is that God's kingdom may begin small, but it will grow large. In this final parable that we're looking at this morning, the kingdom is represented by a single seed. Not a bunch of seeds like the last one. Not a light like the first one, but a single seed. And so the letter A under number three is God's kingdom program will experience amazing results. And the parable starts with two questions. And he has exactly the right analogy to show where the kingdom is headed. Verse 30, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Question number one. Question number two, what parable shall we use to describe it? And I want to just say a word about parables here. Uh, We talked a little bit about it last week, but like one commentator said, Jesus didn't tell parables to make everything clear. He told them to provoke our imagination, to invite people to see what God was doing in the world from a different perspective from his perspective. I think it's interesting that Jesus asks this question in verse 30. Literally, what likenesses shall we use to get across the idea of the kingdom of God? And I've sure thought, wouldn't it be great if Jesus just defined the kingdom in one verse? That would have been so helpful. There's no verse that just defines the kingdom. But it's instead all these stories and all these metaphors. The kingdom of God is like this or like that. I don't know if you've ever read the author Flannery O'Connor. I've, I've read her before and enjoyed her book. It's been a couple of years. A Good Man is Hard to Find and other stories or short stories. And she was asked one time if she could put one of her stories into a sentence. And she had a classic response back. She said, if I could have put the story in a sentence, I wouldn't have had to write the story. And it wasn't that she couldn't have given something about the meaning of it in a sentence, but she was saying, there's no way I can give you the fullness of the story except through the narrative of the story. The full impact of the story can't be put in a sentence. And I think Jesus is saying the same thing about the kingdom of God. You can't put it in a sentence. It's like this, and it's like that, and it's it's this parable reflects it, and that parable reflects it. And in this last parable, he says when it's planted, the kingdom of God is like the greatest of trees in which the birds of the air can come and make their nests. Look at at verse 31, it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants and with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So the previous parable was about the scattered seed and, and gradual growth. And you have this on your outline. This parable of the mustard seed illustrates surprising growth. How often have you said, wow, this is amazing to see God work this way or that way. I, it happens to me all the time. I, I see something happen and I go, wow, that, I didn't expect that. And, and it's God at work. All the nations will enter and enjoy the kingdom. This is a a parable of growth and a parable of grace and of joy and celebration because God is at work. And so here's a question. Has the kingdom of God come to earth? I'll give you a good theological answer. Yes and no. The way to think about it is the way Jesus brought the earth, he came as the anointed king to earth, but he has not yet been crowned. I'll give you an example from the Old Testament, David. Samuel anointed him as as King Saul's replacement, but it wasn't until, as it's described in 1 Samuel 16, that the Holy Spirit left Saul and filled David for him to be king. But it was still more than a dozen years after that before David took the throne and wore the crown that Saul had refused to give up. And so even though he was legitimately the king of Israel and recognized by some to be the king, David's kingdom had not yet been established. And that's the way it is with the kingdom of God. He's recognized by us as the king but at some point every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's coming. The time is coming. The book of Revelation describes when that king will come and wipe out Satan's rule on this earth and establish his everlasting rule. And so God's kingdom has come in one sense, but it has yet to be established and recognized on earth in another. And based on the truth of God's word, we know that Jesus will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. His kingdom is where he rules. So we can begin here. Does he rule in your heart? That's the kingdom of God right here. And his word is the key to understanding that because, and this is the second thing, uh, letter B, on the last thing on your outline, God's kingdom program requires explanation. Look at verse uh, 33. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Would that have been cool or what? Okay, Jesus, what did you mean? We want to know. There are at least 39 parables in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we said last week that they make up about one-third of Jesus' teaching. We said he taught them, he used them all the time. Never taught anything without a parable. Jesus spoke in parables so that we would understand the kingdom of God and the central role of Jesus and his word. And Jesus probably chose to, a, a teach, this cheap teaching method because it opened some people's eyes, but it closed others. That's what, that's what we see in the parables. He was steadfast in preparing the 12 for the ministry they would have. So how, would, how do we get the power to live in the kingdom? It's right here. We have the lamp under the, not under the bushel, but we have Jesus who's the light of the world. We have the seed that's being sown into the ground. And you know, just like it it says in John 12, Jesus was a kernel of wheat who fell into the ground and died and produced us. Many seeds. And then we have the smallest of the then known seeds, the mustard seed, becoming this unusually large tree. And did you know that Jesus really literally was the smallest of seeds? Because Jesus, God the Son, the infinite Lord of the universe, came down to earth so we could go up with him. Think about this, before being born in a manger, Jesus was the smallest of organisms, a sperm and an egg together. That's a pretty small organism. That was the Lord of the universe. That was the hope of the world for you. Becoming that small seed and he didn't become a bush or a tree but he died on a tree. That was another name for the cross like it says in 1 Peter 2:24. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. That's the tree that unites heaven with earth. And you've got this on your outline. The cross shows us how the kingdom operates and how we can have the power to live our lives here. It's the power of the cross. And on the cross, we have Jesus bringing infinite power and influence in the world through giving all of his power away on the cross. The cross was a tree of death for him, but it's a tree of life for us. Wow. And to the degree that we see this, to the degree that we take this into our lives, to that degree we have the power of the cross in our lives. When the gospel comes in to our lives and we begin to live by kingdom principles, that will change us and it will change the people around us. If you're holding on to bitterness right now, if you're holding on to anger for some reason right now, that is not what it means to live in the kingdom of God. You have to release that, you have to let that go, you have to forgive, it's not a choice. God says you must forgive if you're gonna live by kingdom principles. And so when we forgive, even when we ask for forgiveness, we're living like kingdom citizens. If something really bad is happening in your life right now, some failure, some trial that you're going through, remember that living in the kingdom means that the way up is the way down. It, it leads us to a life of, of humility, of of it's not about thinking less about ourselves, but thinking more about those around us. That's what Jesus did for us when he gives us that power and it'll lead us to more compassion in our lives. It will lead us to more wisdom. It will lead us to patience. It will lead to good things. You know, Kathy and I both graduated from Wheaton College and the motto of Wheaton is for Christ and his kingdom that that would be the motto for your life and for mine. Think about it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the understanding of the kingdom, the importance of it, the power for it to see your son on that tree that unites heaven and earth. Because Jesus humbled himself. He's been given the name that is above every name. So Lord, we humble ourselves under your mighty hand right now. We give ourselves to you. We give you our lives. And even our independence come in and begin to renew us in the image of your son who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we pray in Jesus' name. And now may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, He'll do it.